the book of James. You can turn in your Bible. We're going to get to, the, to our verses in a couple minutes, James chapter 4, uh, verses 11 and 12. But we got some stuff I want to cover in order leading up to that. Um, because I think to make this make sense, we need to understand some things. And I need to help you understand how you might feel sometimes. And you don't know why you feel the way you feel and why I feel the way I feel. And so you can turn to James chapter 4, but let me just say a few things before we get there. Let me ask you, with a, start with a question. Do you ever feel like a fish out of water in this world? Do you ever feel like you just don't fit in? Do you? I do. Do you ever feel like the values that you have are totally different than the people around you or the, the things that you think are important um, are totally different, that you just think differently than the world around you? Do you ever feel that way? Yeah, a lot of you say yes, and maybe by the end you're going to go, maybe I should. Well, because here's the deal. You probably do feel like a fish out of water because you're supposed to feel like a fish out of water because you are a fish out of water. Um, scripture tells us that this world is not our home. Now, we spent in May, the month of May, looking at what the future is supposed to look like uh, for eternity. When that book, we looked at all things new. And that, that this world itself will be recreated, new heaven and new earth. Um, but when I say this world is not our home, I'm saying this world in its current form, corrupted by sin, is not our home. The Bible says it this way. It says we're citizens of a different kingdom. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a citizen of a different kingdom than a lot of the people around you who do not yet know Jesus and are not yet in his kingdom. See, knowing Jesus and having him as your king makes you different than the people around you. When you came to Christ... You became different. And a lot of times when you came to, came to Christ, you became different. Some of the people you knew thought you got weird. I remember when I came to Christ, I was about 20 years old. And, you know, um, before that, because born and raised in Cedarburg, you know, just party and drinking was our life. I was just 21 when I got kind of serious with the Lord. And people thought I needed to go to a psychiatrist. They said, Mark, you're just happy too much. Something's wrong. And I said, you're worried about me because I'm happy. What they were really worried about me is I wouldn't go out and get drunk with them all the time anymore. And I think that was making them feel uncomfortable. I was hoping I wasn't trying to make them feel uncomfortable. They were. But the reality is when you come to Jesus and you live for Jesus, and some of you have been raised in Jesus your whole lives, you really don't know anything different. What happens is the people around you realize you think a lot different, that you are a fish out of water because you live in a different kingdom. Well, Christianity, living it out in this world, the idea of being different, Christianity is, is countercultural. I mean by that is that we march to the beat of a different drummer. That our values are set by Jesus, that he's our king and he's our Lord, and, and those values that he sets are often in contrary to and often con, you know, in conflict with the values of the world around us. Now, James, in some verses before the ones we're going to look at earlier in chapter 4, James mentioned this idea. He said it in a pretty strong way, talking about the fact that we have different values in the world. And he said, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Imagine that. Friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Therefore, he says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And what James sees going on is this, his idea of trying to live this countercultural lifestyle. James sees a war going on between two different kingdoms that is existing at the same time, in the same place, but two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And by the kingdom of this world, he's referring to the system created by sin and Satan's influence has been established by Satan himself, the scriptures say, 
that is in opposition to God. Um, it's Satan's evil empire, if you would, that's set up to destroy God. It won't work, it won't succeed, but he wants to destroy God, and he wants to destroy anybody who's aligned with God. And so there's these two different worlds that are in existence at the same time in the same place with people who know each other and interact and can even love each other. Matter of fact, Jesus gives us some insight into this that's really revealing on how these two worlds can operate in tandem, even within a family structure. Jesus was revealing this reality one day of these two worlds um, when he was being mocked by his very own family. His very own brothers, it says, in, in one of the Gospels, um, early on in Jesus' ministry, um, matter of way, one of the people who's going to do what we said, we're going to talk about here, was probably James, his brother who wrote, his half-brother who wrote the book of James. And his brothers, including James, probably, it doesn't say his name, but probably, were mocking Jesus. And they were telling him that there was a, a festival, a Jewish festival celebration. And he said, hey, if you want to be known, you want to be popular, why don't you go up to the to the festival and make yourself known. No one who wants to be popular hides himself. And Jesus said, well, it's not my time to go there. And they went and then he followed them later. But Jesus said this in response to his very own brothers. He says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. He's looking at his family and he sees two different things going on in the same time. My time has not yet come, but your time is is." always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Jesus looks at his very own family and his brothers and he sees two kingdoms represented. He sees the kingdom of God where he lives, he says that's me, and and the world hates me, and he sees the world which he says his brothers are of, and he says that world hates him because he points it out as evil. He says, so your kingdom, your world sees it one way, but my world, my kingdom sees it another. Two kingdoms at war functioning together at the same time. Church, the reason you feel out of step with the world around you is because you live in a different kingdom and follow a different king than many of the people who do not yet know Jesus, and they can be your neighbors or your family members or anybody who doesn't yet know Jesus. See, it's normal to feel out of place in this world because we are out of place. This world is not our home. Meaning the value system of this world um, and the direction of this world is opposed to God and all who follow Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's opposed to you. Sometimes we feel like Lot, Abraham's nephew. Remember Lot, Abraham's nephew, who Abraham had to rescue? Remember where Lot lived? He settled in where? Sodom and Gomorrah. He lived in Sodom. And when he lived there, it wasn't a good, exi- a good existence. And we, the scriptures show all these evil that went on in Sodom when Lot was there. But listen to what it says about what Peter's life was like. This is the revelation of two kingdoms living in conjunction with each other. What Peter's life was like in Sodom. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6-10, through 10, I'm going I'm to read. It says later... God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom 
because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was trans- tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. And Sodom was known uh, for its, its perverse sexuality. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. Lots is righteous man living in the midst of a shameful, he says, quote, shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Two kingdoms at war, people from each kingdom living in conjunction and interaction with each other. Two kingdoms at war, a war that we are in. And Jesus' followers, friends, according to this, should be different. Our values and our actions should be different because we live in a different kingdom that has totally different values than the kingdom of the world. That seems, makes sense now, Right? Now, there's a reason why I'm talking about this today. Because the verses that we're going to look at today, even though at first blush you'd say, well, they don't seem that serious, I would contend the verses we're going to look at today, just two verses, are quite possibly the most countercultural verses that we'll find in all of James's letter, especially in light of the world that we live in today. That the words, verses we're going to look at today from James, we need to understand we got to be different to live this way. That he's going to say something that we can only, I believe this can only be lived out in the kingdom of God by people who are empowered by King Jesus. So grab your Bible, look at James chapter 4 with me. We're like just two verses. And I would say this, you're going to say, that, that doesn't seem that serious. I would say these are maybe the two most countercultural verses you're going to come across in this whole book. James chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. So he's talking, remember, James, who's James writing to? Remember, is James writing to Christians or non-Christians? Christians. He's writing to Christians, people who are dispersed out of Jerusalem, living in various churches. That's who it says in the very first verse of the book, that's who he's writing to. So he says, do not speak against one another, brethren. So he's talking Christian to Christian here. Now, I can apply it across other places, but he's speaking specifically to you and I, how we interact within the church. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. Remember, James says, don't be a hearer of the law, be a doer of the law. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We'll stop right there. There is maybe not any area in our lives that, we can, that can trip us up easier and reveal the reality of our heart more clearly than what we speak. Earlier in James's letter, he said, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect. And that, the context of that word means be fully mature. A fully mature, a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. What we say... How we speak is a kingdom issue. 
There are ways that the world around us speaks because it's from another kingdom that is the way they do it, but it is not fitting for Jesus' followers. You see, here's our world's method. And this is our world's method. The reason I think it's so important for us to deal with this today is because we have ways of speaking and communicating that the world has never had before. That we have ways of saying things that can be destructive and divisive that the world has never had before and the church needs to open up its eyes in this culture and realize that we're not often in line with what God says is proper for His children and we're going to see because it's destructive and it's hurtful. What's our world's method of communication? And when I say what I'm going to say right now, I am not in particularly talking about one person, but you're all going to think I'm talking about one person. But I'm saying it's a, it's a cultural thing. You know what our world's way of functioning now and communicating is? We just tweet out anger. We just tweet out whatever we want to say or we post whatever we want to say. You can just let it out there and let it fly. We, we tweet out hate. We say whatever we want. We hurt others with our words. We post mean-spirited or hateful things on social media or we repost mean-spirited or hateful things on social media. And James here is trying to show that in the kingdom of God, there's a different value system. And he's saying, listen, I'm telling you, in the church, you're not supposed to speak against and judge your brothers and your sisters in Christ. The difference between the two, when he says, don't speak this way, and we, we understand this kind of this idea of, of um, the, using right speech, but he's showing this, that there's a way to speak in the world, there's a way to speak in the church, and they ought to be different. And the difference between the two is not what we sometimes think, which is superficial. Oh, in the church you don't swear, you don't curse, you're not crude. Now that's true, but that's not the difference he's talking about here. The difference he's talking about here is the difference of the damage that we do with the words that we speak. It's about hurting others or causing disunity with our speech. When we come to Christ, it can be pretty easy to deal with the cursing type of speech issues in our life. And this is the truth, and you guys sometimes don't believe it. Matter of fact, a, a niece of mine at vacation this year was there and said, something came up about drinking in excess, and somebody said something about me, and she said, Uncle Mark, you used to drink a lot? I said, yeah, because she's only known me as Uncle Mark the preacher. She didn't know me as Uncle Mark the drunk. But family members knew me as that. But in the area of speech... You know what, before I came to Jesus, I pretty much thought that every other word in a sentence had to start with F. You know what I'm talking about. There's a lady Suzanne and I know. She's, we, we see her at times in Port Washington. And I don't think she can say three words without dropping the F-bomb. And, and I, I look at it not with, really with judgmentalism, but saying, man, that's what I used to sound like. Think of how rotten that sounds. So, you know what, as a Christian, we should stop that stuff. But that's not what James, that's easy stuff. I'm serious, that's the easy stuff. If you think that's a mark of maturity, it's not. That's the easy stuff. What James is addressing here is much deeper. It's much more important. He's dealing with those in the kingdom of God who must guard against using their words in a way that hurts others. And here's the main thing hurts others, and causes disunity within the body of Christ. Look how James explains it here. 
He's just very specific. James takes it in the context of the Old Testament law and, and, and uses the New Testament law also in it, or uh, commandments, to say, there's, there's a, 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 I'm not just saying to do this, I'm saying there's a, there's a real theological reason why we should speak differently than the world. Look how he explains it. He starts out with a blanket statement. What's he say? Do not speak against one another, brethren. And this is the point he's making. In God's kingdom, what do we know from the overall view of Scripture, the overall view of the book of James? We love and we unite. We don't hurt and we don't destroy. In the kingdom, we don't hurt one another in any way, especially, or included for sure, with our words. Because, you know, I remember, I, you know, I've been punched in the nose a few times and cannot remember it, but I can remember hurtful words said to me when I was five years old and I can tell you the exact setting. And so words really really hurt. He's saying, listen, I don't want that to happen. Then James moves into explaining why. He says, just don't, don't judge one another, don't hurt one another with your words, destroy one another with your words. He moves into explaining why, as followers of Jesus, it's wrong to speak against or judge a brother or sister in the church. He says it this way. He says, because to do so speaks against the law and judges the law. Now, what's he mean here? Speaks against the law or judges the law? What's, what's James mean by law? He means breaking the law. And earlier in his, scripture, in his letter, he refers to the law. He calls it the law of liberty. So he's not talking about the Old Testament Ten Commandments. He's talking about this idea that Jesus taught the church. That if you take all the law and the prophets and you want to summarize it, you could summarize it in two statements. What would the two statements be? All the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of liberty. James has already talked about that in, earlier in the book of James. So he's talking about the law of liberty here. And here's what he's going for. He's saying, as kingdom of God people, there is a way that we are to act towards others, and we are to love them. This is the law, the law of liberty. We are to love them as ourselves, which is the opposite of the world. The world looks at it and says, take what you can get. People are stepping stones. Use people for your advantage. The kingdom of God says, love somebody as if yourself. Act towards somebody as you would want them to act towards you, which is completely opposite of the other kingdom. So James looks at the law and says that if we speak against and judge a brother, we hurt them with our words, what are we doing? We're breaking the law of liberty which the law of liberty says, love the person as yourself. You know, scripturally, God says that his kids, you and me, should love one another. He says that's his commandment, or that's the law of liberty. So therefore, what James is saying is to speak against and judge a brother isn't loving. Therefore, it's contrary to God's way of living because it's not loving. He says it speaks against the law. In other words, it's saying this. God says, here's my great law. I've summarized everything in two commandments. And part of that is love your neighbor as yourself. And God says, that's my law. And when I speak against somebody, hurt them and judge them, I hurt them with my words. I'm speaking against the law. What I'm saying is the law is not important. God says it's the law, but I, contra- I live contrary to it. What I'm saying by living contrary to it is, God, your law is not important. That's what I'm saying with my actions. 
He's saying you're speaking against the law. But then he goes on to say this. You're not only speaking against the law, you're judging the law. What's it mean to judge the law? It's saying that I conclude in myself that God's law is not to be obeyed. I pass judgment on the law. The law of liberty says love your neighbor as yourself, but I choose to do something that's very unloving towards my neighbor, towards my brother. Therefore, I'm saying I'm passing judgment on the law and saying the law is not right. I don't need to follow it. It's not for me. It's wrong. So he says this isn't just about words. He says when we act this way with our speech towards one another, what's happening is we're actually speaking against God's law and then we're saying, we're judging it. We're saying that the law isn't even valid. It's not even important. Hope you, you follow his reasoning here? To speak against, to hurt others with our words is unloving. Therefore, it's contrary to God's law of love that Christians are to abide by. James then goes on to say that there is only one lawgiver and one judge. He's trying to put us in our place. And he says, who's the lawgiver and who's the judge? Who says what laws we ought to follow? What rules we ought to abide by? That says you're supposed to love one another. Therefore, to speak evil against them is not loving and it's wrong. He says there's one person who makes that rule. It's God. And it's not me. And we are to obey God's ways, not our own ways. Because he is the one who can save and destroy. He, says, he doesn't mess, mess around. He goes, listen, you're supposed to listen to God and do what God says because here's the deal. He's the one who can save you or he's the one who can destroy you. He says, he's God and you're not. He says, God is the only one in a position to judge and not us. What James is doing here, I hope we can see what he's doing here. He is moving something that we could say really doesn't matter. It's a small thing how I talk to somebody. He's moving how I talk to other people in the body of Christ from some very minor thing that we say is unimportant to a very major thing that he says is very important. He says, you know what, Mark? You're not God. You don't get to make the rules. His rule is to love and to unify. Therefore, to be unloving and disunifying is contrary to what he wants from us, um, judging and speaking harshly towards each other is disunifying. See, James sees this as a really big deal, and so should we. In the kingdom of God, we should build up and not tear down. The world can tweet out hate, but we should not. And friends, here's what I've seen happen is exponentially grow in, in my generation is that because of social media and because of our incredibly divided, politically charged world that we live in. Now here's the deal. There's a reason why as a church, we have chosen to be apolitical. Meaning, I don't back a candidate. I have my own personal life. I vote. Churches, churches want to be political advocacy groups. I believe the church is not supposed to be. For a reason. I want anybody welcome here. I don't care what side of the aisle you're from. You need Jesus. I believe you need to be here. And the picture that God is trying to create, he's trying to paint, we spent a year, over a year, looking into the book of Ephesians. There was one main um, idea he's trying to teach. That the church world is supposed to be a place of unity that is so profound, the only place on the planet, that when diverse people can get together and function in unity, that we actually become a different a breed of people. We stop being Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. We become something new called Christian. 
And this bond now binds us together beyond any other bond. But you could still be Christian and have different political views. You can. I know wonderful Christians on both sides of the aisle who love Jesus and they believe the Bible supports their views. And they're good, solid people. But what I see in the world today with our words, that's why I say this is the most countercultural thing you can do, is somebody tweets something about that candidate or that person and you just, without thinking, just forward it. You comment on it and you forward it. And you share it. And, you, and you, what happens is it's totally hateful towards somebody who you disagree with. It's okay to disagree. It's not, it's not okay to hate. And that's the countercultural part of all this. It is okay to disagree. Matter of fact, we just spent a week of vacation up at Bowler Junction with 15 of my relatives. You want to create an environment that's not ripe for, for unity and peace? Have 15 people who none of them live together? Bring them all together, shove them in a cabin for a week and say, cook your meals, clean the house, and get along. You will find conflict. It happens. But you can do that without hating each other. You can do that without bite backbiting or tearing each other down or just saying what you want to say for the sake of saying it. This world can tweet out hate, but we should not. Nor should we forward or share or repost a lot of things. The world can speak with malice towards people they disagree with, but God's people should not. We are supposed to be different. Jesus was different than the world around it. Think about how we so easily fall into this trap in so many ways, especially through, through social media. Now, does this teaching from James, what I'm saying is we don't speak against one another, we don't condemn each other, we don't, we don't judge each other. And does that mean that we can never also make judgments about people? Can never, can never say anything that would be not positive about somebody. It's not at all what it means. It would be impossible to live our life without making evaluations of, of people. It would be impossible. Um, any teachers in here? We have teachers in here. Could you possibly do your job without assessing a student? Can't do it. Your job is to teach and to assess. We have doctors in here. Can a doctor say to somebody who comes in and their back hurts, but they're 200 pounds overweight, and they say, and their knees hurt, Doc, what's wrong with me? Well, the problem is your body wasn't designed to carry an extra 200 pounds. So your knees hurt and your back hurts. So guess what? The best thing I could do for you is have you go on a diet, lose some weight, and your back won't hurt. And I say there's a guy whose back hurts because his belly's a little too big. assessment isn't bad. There's nothing mean-spirited about being assessing. How about a boss with an employee? Suzanne just had her annual review at Aurora. And it it was stellar again. She'll never tell you that, but it was stellar again. But what happens when it's not stellar? Is a boss breaking the law of God, of saying you're not being loving by telling somebody who's underperforming? Josh is, is teaching somebody right now. (laughs) <laughs> and he's saying, this person's underperforming in his job. You know what? Is that wrong, to be honest? No. Assessment's part of life. But judging is different. 
judging, what he's talking about is different. James Bryant Smith says this, he says, judging is making a negative evaluation of others without standing in loving solidarity with them. In other words, when we judge others, just to use judging in that sense instead of assessing, when we judge others, we are criticizing them or tearing them down, not as a caring friend who wants to help, but as someone who either wants to just speak their mind or someone who does not take into account how they may hurt somebody with their words. I remember being in a service one time when we were living in Cambodia and the speaker, the, the, super, the assistant superintendent from, from um, uh, Australia was our speaker and we were at a place in Thailand listening to him speak. And he was venting a little bit about America. And he says, talking about speaking the truth in love, not this text, but kind of related. And he says, here's what I can't figure out about Americans. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it. He goes, Americans think... It's somehow spiritual just to say the truth just because it's true. He says, you don't have to say the truth. That's what James is getting at here. Just saying this, how many times? I just had to get it off my chest. I just had to speak my mind. We value, we, our culture around us elevates that as a good thing. James is saying, no, it's not a good thing. He says, there's a place for it, assessment. There's a place for assessment. That's all right. But just speaking my mind to clear off, to lift the burden off my chest, or just to say what I want to say, just because I think I want to say it, and let the chips fall where they may, he's saying, that's wrong. You know why he's saying it's wrong? He follows this process of thinking, because God's given us a law. It's the law, it's the, the law of love. The law says we treat others as we like to be treated. We love one another. We build up, we don't tear down. And therefore, to do something that tears people down, when we don't have to do that and to hurt them is breaking the law. It's saying you don't value it and judging it saying you don't even think it applies. So James says, listen, we got to be countercultural. So judging, the difference, judging is criticizing them and not caring for them as a friend. We're just speaking, just, just, just saying what we want to say. The difference lies in the heart of the person making the comments. Do we, from a heart of love, want to help someone? Or do we just want to speak our mind and put someone in their place? Listen, friends, I was raised in a family, in a culture, who told me the highest value in your life is just to speak your mind and put someone in their place. For 54 years, I've been trying to unwind that quality of my character. So I speak with great experience on this topic. And what James is saying is, listen, the world may have taught you that, but it's not the way to live. James wants us to understand that in the kingdom of God, there is no room for just speaking your mind and putting someone in their place because that is damaging to the unity that God himself by the Spirit is working to develop. Church, if we do this, we'll be the opposite of the world around us. It's countercultural to speak differently. It's the life in the kingdom. It's the good and beautiful life in the kingdom. And it is the best way to live. So I have an assignment for all of us this week as we wrap up. Here's my assignment for me and you. Let's pay attention to how we speak and communicate. Let's ask ourselves, are we building up or, and unifying or are we hurting and disunifying and tearing down? Pay attention. 
And I'm going to ask you to do something if you are gutsy. Who in here is pretty gutsy and bold? Wants to grow, okay? About 10 of you, okay? I want you to ask a loved one, someone you trust, someone that you know loves you and wants the best for you. Ask a loved one this week, not indefinitely, this week. Give them permission to point out to you when you are critical and unloving in what you say. So ask somebody that you love. Give them permission. No one gets to do this without being asked. Only if you're asked. Permission. So that you can see how you speak. You may be surprised at what you discover. You may not be happy, but that's okay. He understands that when God, God loves you, it was said this morning, there's nothing you could do in your life that would make God love you less than he loves you right now. Nothing. It's not about God loving you. When we grow and we get better, it's because God does love us. He gives us, a, he gives us an opportunity to say, I want to get better. Life is better living in the kingdom world than in the world opposed to the kingdom. And so imagine how wonderful it could be for all of us, but imagine how wonderful it could be just for you when you have to live in peace. Let go of that idea that you just have to speak your mind all the time. It's freeing. And just say, I want to, I want to live in peace. Peace. <laughs> H. <laughs> um, <laughs> peace, brother, peace. And so maybe that's it. Maybe that's your sign. Um, the Lord has something better for us. So that when we see, when we have, when we've come short, God doesn't show us we come short in order to make us feel bad or punish us. He shows us where we come short so we can get better. Because He loves us so much, He wants us to get better. And so give somebody permission this week. If you're bold, 10 of you were, um, you might find what you discover is helpful in growing. See, the world is hateful and unloving. But our Savior is different. Jesus is love. His love is so real that he gave his life to rescue yours. That's love. That's totally countercultural. He wants to help us grow and become more like him so that his love literally becomes who we are on the inside. So that what bubbles out is his love. Transformation is when we have the work deep in our spirit so that we become different on the inside. So what used to make us explode, and then for a little while we just try to control it, and we think that's Christianity. No, Christianity's joy is when down here, I don't feel like I'm going to explode anymore because I'm more like Jesus on the inside. That's the path he has us on. And he uses things like how we speak to be tools to help us grow, to have transformation on the inside. So we don't be phony on the outside. We just let the real thing bubble out of us. That's what God's plan is for our lives because he's love. So let's ask Jesus to cause his love to grow inside of us so that we would realize his love is real on the inside. It would bubble us up out of us on the outside. And one of the ways it would bubble up is how we speak to one another. Scripture says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so let's ask the Lord to help our hearts blossom in his love so that what we speak is love and grace. Make sense? Let's pray together. Father, thank you.
for your, your challenge to us in your word. That you challenge us to be countercultural. You challenge us to not be like uh, the world around us. But Lord, I know this for me and for a whole bunch of people in this place. Um, we've been shaped by the world around us. We've been taught values that, that our narratives say what is right, but actually it's contrary to what you say is right. And so, Lord, right now we're asking for a work of the Spirit, literally inside of our souls, that you would help us to see ourselves and see things that don't line up with the way it ought to be, the, the good and beautiful way of the kingdom, that you would show us those things so that we could grow and get better. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, for every person who's bold enough to say, I want to grow, that, Lord, in the coming days of this week, whether it's through the help of another person or just the assistance of your Spirit, that you would help us see this area of our life. And God, if there's times that we just find ourselves speaking our mind just to speak our mind because we've been told that's what's right, would you help us see it? Help us stand back in amazement and go, oh my goodness, I didn't even know I'm doing that. And then we could surrender it to you and say, God, I want to get better. And we invite you in to bring transformation. So Father, as a church, we surrender to your to your loving care and your shaping and pray that you, Lord, would do a good work within us. We love you, Jesus.